to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Samuel Giordano, and he is a proud husband and father of three, a practicing physician at a large academic medical center. He's an author, real estate investor, and co-founder of PassiveAdvantage.com, a website designed to help physicians and other high-income professionals vet passive and real estate syndication deals. So Sam, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome and I'm really grateful for you taking the time to spend uh, some time with us today to talk about your experiences as well as a real estate investor. Yeah, thanks so much, Eileen. It's really my pleasure and appreciate you thinking of me and having me on today. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been following you guys and thanks for having me. So Sam, can you give us a little bit more of an insight into your background and how you got started with real estate investing? Yeah, so I am, uh, as you stated, I'm I'm a physician. I'm a gastroenterologist in uh, New Jersey. Uh, my wife is also a physician. She, she's a cardiologist also in New Jersey. So her and I kind of went up through our education process through the traditional route, you know, going to college and then deciding at some point to become a physician and doing the long sort of grueling course that it can be to become a physician. For me, it was about 10 years outside of college. And during that period of time, once you initially get out as an attending, then you're really focused on trying to conquer as much of the debt that you've acquired along the way, whether it be student loans or credit card debt or things like that. And so we got through those initial phases of paying off the student loans. And along the way, we had a couple uh, little humans that, uh, that keep us busy as well. And so we're contributing to their 529s and doing all the traditional personal finance things. And then about seven or eight years into my career as a physician, we started really realizing how much we pay in taxes. And and it sort of exemplified when some of the tax laws changed in 2017 to where we couldn't deduct the state and local income taxes in a state, in a high tax state like New Jersey. It definitely sort of brought to light some of the inefficiencies in W-2 income. And so in that case, we started to ask around like other options to diversify our income. And that's where real estate kept coming up. And so really you were looking for a way to, like you mentioned, to diversify your income and to hedge against because both you and your wife are high income earners. And so with all the expenses and because you're living in New Jersey, looking for different strategies to figure out how you can save more of your money that you're actually bringing in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we initially looked at turnkey properties and, you know, since we both are full-time, I'm full-time, my wife has since gone down to three days a week, but we don't have a lot of extra time to manage our own properties. And we really didn't want to deal with all the tenants and all the, you know, tenants, termites or toilets and all that stuff that you hear of. So we initially were thinking about turnkey properties, but then realized that most of the advantageous investment opportunities were out of state. 
And so we heard, we had a friend who had done a few turnkeys and had some negative experiences with some of the property managers and stuff. And then a friend of mine brought up real estate syndications and like, you know, this concept of passive income and what it involves. And once I heard about it, I'm like, you know, this sounds like some weird like Ponzi scheme or, you know, this sounds like too good to be true. And I started getting my hands on as many materials as I could, whether it be listening to podcasts, reading books, being active on different forums like Bigger Pockets and other real estate forums to try to educate myself probably for a whole year before I actually invested. But then the more I learned about it, the more I felt like it was a fit for what I was looking for. And that's kind of been what I've invested in ever since. So what specifically made it a good fit for you and your wife? You both are extremely busy professionals, have very strenuous jobs that take up a lot of time. You also have children of your own. So what about syndications particularly fit your lifestyle? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that it did, it's what we would have considered like passive income. And initially, when you're looking into syndications and trying to figure out which syndications you want to invest in and which syndications you don't, there's definitely nothing passive about that. So that there's no doubt. And I stress this to all the people that come up to me and that I educate on this is that you really have to take seriously that first component of your education and trying to figure out how do you know if a deal is good? What kind of things do you look for? What sort of variables do you need to pay extra attention to? So that part is definitely not passive. But once you write that check or wire that money, then after that, your involvement is basically done. You would hope that you're getting communication from the sponsors and you're being kept abreast of things, but you're not really doing anything active. So that fit what we were looking into in that we would need to spend a good amount of upfront time, one on our education, and then every time we get a deal to kind of figure out if we want to invest or we don't. But after that, it's kind of like we don't have to rely on putting in any additional time uh, once we make that investment. In addition, there's a large amount. You, you really can obtain a good portion of the tax benefits that you can, whether you own the apartment yourself in terms of some of the depreciation to at least offset some of the cash flow from the gains on the syndication investment. And then if you have another deal that sells in the same year, sometimes you can use any depreciation to offset capital gains or depreciation recapture on another deal. So it almost a lot, it's not tax-free income, but it's tax-deferred income in that I really wasn't looking to increase my taxable income. But if I could have income that's coming in, that's contributing to my long-term wealth building without having to pay taxes on that, then those variables sort of together made it a really good fit for us. So you said it took you about a year before you got comfortable investing in your first syndication. Yeah. If you can think back to it, what was maybe one or two of the concepts that was really hard to grasp for you as a new investor? Yeah, so initially I the tax some of the tax components that we just talked about in terms of where you use what's called I've seen it verbalized in different ways, but it's almost like a passive pairing effect where when you're investing initially, like I started investing in syndications at the end of 2017. So I'm going on like four years now. So when you're investing initially, you don't have other deals that are closing. So if you're a W-2 employee like I am, and you're not a real estate professional, you can't offset your taxable income with any of the uh, depreciation from those deals. 
So you're really just building up losses. And so over time, as the deals, as certain deals start to close or, um, you know, there's refinances or different sort of capital events in those deals, you can then use those losses you've built up to offset that. So figuring out what way the tax benefits would apply to me took a little bit of time to figure out initially, because when you're first investing, you really don't see any of that benefit other than the fact that the cash flow that you're getting in doesn't really increase your taxable income. So I think that was probably one of the tougher concepts initially during that year to learn is figuring out exactly how the tax benefits would apply to me if it's not offsetting my actual income. So I would say that's one of them. There were probably others, but I would say that's the biggest one. And so can you give us an example? It will help the listeners to visualize it a little bit because this is when you're an active W-2 worker because you're unable to take those depreciation losses from the investment of the multifamily or the real estate investment that you have to offset your active income. So in the event that you do invest and that one of your properties goes full cycle, they sell it off. How does that really apply to, like in your experience, what have you seen where you were able to do to offset it? Sure. So say, for example, I am just for the ease of numbers, say I invest 100000 in a deal back in 2017. And say at that time, the average cash on cash may have been like six to 8%. So I was making anywhere between six to 8,000, on average, six to 8,000 a year from the investment in that deal, divided up amongst the 12 months or quarters, depending on how the distributions were given out. So say in year three, then there is a refinance event, or say there's a set, the property sells in year three. So you then have, but when you first invested, you may get, say, an $80,000 depreciate, $80,000 loss up front from your $100,000 investment. So over those three years, if you had, say, $6,000, so that's $18,000 that you're then offsetting. So you don't have to pay, worry about the tax on that. So then you minus the $18,000 off of the eighty, dollars and you get yourself, say, $62,000 in losses left. And then if there's a capital event and you get another 60,000 or say another 70,000, you could then offset, you know, 62 of the 70,000 from that capital event where the sale happened in year three. And then you're really only paying taxes on the $8,000 or the difference in between or what you have left. And But then if you invest in another deal in that same year and you want to offset that additional 8,000 and whatever depreciation recapture you may have for that period of time, then you could invest in a deal in that same year that other property has sold, say property two, just to make it easier, or property one sold, but you invest in property two, then you could then offset some of the the capital gains or depreciation recapture from property one. And then you just kind of keep investing. Now, it does require you to keep investing, but for someone who's in it for the long game, and now I really enjoy it's not like I like the wealth building and I like real estate in general and I like the tax benefits, but now it's become more of a passion for me. So I don't in, intend to stop investing in it. So it, for me, it's not a problem to come up with new deals. Whereas some people may have an issue having to find another deal after year three, where I like when deals kind of come in and out fast because it just increases the velocity of my wealth building as opposed to having to wait 10 years to where a deal goes full, full cycle. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. 
Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. After you you learned all the different concepts, you got educated, now you're ready and you felt comfortable with it, making that first move, making that first investment with the syndication. As you were evaluating different types of deals, what really stood out for you that made it a good deal? Because there's so many out there. You could be getting like five, 10 a day or a week or whatever like that. And so how yeah. do you differentiate the good ones from the bad ones? Yeah. So that's the tricky part. And that, so that first year that we alluded to, I kind of spent coming up using all those forms, whether it be the real estate forms, the, the, um, the podcast, reading as many books as I can get my hands on. And I'm the type of person like being someone who's gone through a ton of education, like during whether I take tests or whether it's something, it helps me to kind of put things out either in paper or on a Microsoft Word sheet so that I can visually see things in order to kind of understand how things flow together. So during that year, I was sort of taking notes on everything I would learn. So if I was in the car and I heard a podcast and a couple of really cool concepts, I'd make a small you know, voice note. And then when I got home, I'd put it on my sheet. And then, so I did that for a year for all those different mediums that I had sort of learning points in. And then eventually I came up with a sheet that I used that were the salient points that I would look at when I had a real estate syndication deal presented to me, particular multifamily, but I did have criteria for other asset classes as well. And I would then go off of that sheet. And when I would get the investment, first I would reach out to the sponsors, get on their list, get sort of primed to get those deals. And then once I've had a number of sponsors, when the deals would come my way, I would kind of look at the investment summary, look at my criteria, and then see which kind of fit those criteria and which didn't, and if there was any red flags or things that stood out. And that was the main, that sort of allowed me to, it semi-objectified and allowed me to make sure that I wasn't getting emotional about a deal, being like, oh, this property looks nice. It it sort of made it sort of black and white in terms of these criteria met. If it's not, I'm not going to invest in this deal. Have you ever experienced it where a deal that you felt comfortable with actually maybe didn't perform or went a little bit south? So thankfully, none of them went straight south, but there were, I've invested in like 12 deals now. So there may be one or two of the deals that just are still performing well, like say the you know projected returns are maybe 8% cash on cash. There are a few of them that are maybe like 2 or 3%. There was one that we invested in San Antonio that, you know, when there was like a freeze in Texas a year or so ago, there was some pipe damage and some damage in the property. And, and so that affected sort of, you know, the rent growth projections and the value add opportunities they were planning for the property. So the hope is, is that eventually they get back to where they can kind of make that up. But there are a few deals that 
had a short-term effect based on some of those things. But thankfully, none of the deals so far that I've invested in since 2017 have went south, thankfully. Knock on wood. (laughs) What do you think has contributed the most to the fact that you've been able to choose wisely? I think all physicians have a degree of like OCD. I'm I'm sure other people (laughs) do, but I know physicians are definitely that way, knowing a ton of physicians and having like 700 physicians in my hospital. But so I'm definitely detail oriented and it's generally served me well. And you obviously want your physician not to be willy nilly about things. So I've kind of taken that detail oriented mindset and in how I look at real estate syndication deals to where I try to be methodical. I try to be very, think about all different scenarios and you can never predict everything, but you try to think about as many different scenarios as you can. And then once you, in coming up with those criteria, I think it allowed me to be on the lookout for some of the most common things that can cause problems in these type of deals. And I think that's probably, it's not like a ton of variables that, like when we formed a sheet that kind of goes over some of these things and there's a lot of variables, there's not a lot, but there's probably 30 to 40 variables in that sheet. But I would say there's probably five or six that I think are the most important that are the first things I look at when I get an investment summary. And then if it meets those criteria, then I kind of put it into the rest of the parameters in the sheet and then decide if I want to invest. But it has to kind of pass the muster on these certain five or six criteria. And those five or six criteria may change with different times. Like my criteria I look at now is different than what I looked at back in 2017, just because the market's different. The environment in the syndication world is different. The degree of capital that's out there is different. So you have to kind of adjust along the way. But I think just being detail-oriented it has helped me with that process. What resource do you use that really helps you maintain a pulse on the market and what's going on within real estate and, and the market? Yeah. So I still am an avid reader of any sort of real estate books that come out that I think would be of interest. I'm, I'm an avid podcast listener. I have like a 35 minute commute daily. So it usually allows me, I listen at 2x speed, although I sometimes I feel like I talk at 2x speed, but, but the, but so I listen to, you know, anywhere between two and four podcasts a day. So I kind of, and then, you know, I'm active on real estate forums. And then I talk with different investors every day and forming our website and having some of the sheet that we have, investors reach out to me all the time, whether it be people in my own hospital or people over the internet or through email. So I try to keep up on those things. Now, in terms of the economic pulse, I really do kind of look at what deals are coming my way and what the sort of assumptions that they're looking at. And then I try to keep track of some of the main sites like the Marcus and Millitramp. And, you know, a friend of mine has access to CoStar data. So we try to kind of keep up on some of that stuff and some of the big sort of metrics that we look at, what what some of the population growth, the rent growth, the job growth, what are things like that going on in different cities and how is that changing like over the last three months, over the last six months, see if we can try to keep an eye on patterns and where things are going like six months or a year from now and not just where they are now. And so if our listeners were interested in the sheets that you put together and learning more about what you're producing and the education that you're providing other people in your similar types of position, where's the best place that they can go to find out more? So, you know, they can visit my website at PassiveAdvantage.com. There you can find, we have a free book that goes over some of the variables we're talking about on vetting real estate syndications, what to look for from the perspective of a limited partner. 
there you can see some of the tools that we're talking about where we've we've used a lot of that data from you know the economic data as well as sort of some of the other data from the perspective of a limited partner what you would want to look for in a deal to form a sheet that certainly people can see and see if it may be a fit for their education process we really do look at it as not so much of a sheet that helps people decide if they want to invest in a deal or not but it's really number one to help educate because some of the variables in there like they may not even be aware that it's important to know that and then the second component of it is to be alerted to any obvious risk points. So the big thing is if a deal performs 6% return annually versus a 12% annually, that's really not going to hurt you that much, even though it's not ideal. But you want to be aware of deals that maybe are grossly sort of have a gross error in terms of the underwriting and approximation where you can lose the money. And so we look at it as like sort of a risk uh, to bring to light some risk points to prevent any of those catastrophic things where you have a chance of losing your money. Even though you can't always predict it, the hope is that it'll allow you to kind of bring to light if there is any of those. Yes. Education is power. Knowledge is power. And the best thing that you can do is to mitigate as much of the risk as you can. Investments never 100% risk-free, but you can minimize it as much as you can. That's right. You're exactly right. I'm with you. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time today and sharing all of your valuable resources with us and your knowledge and your background. I so appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure, Eileen. Anytime. I'm happy to come back anytime. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.